What's up? It's Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Got a special guest today. It is Dakota Schmidt from Ridiculous Upside. If you're a big basketball fan and you keep up with the G League, then you know the name Dakota Schmidt. If not, and you want to keep up with the G League or you have newfound interest in the G League due to the G League Ignite team, which we'll discuss at length in this podcast, follow Dakota Schmidt. I met Dakota, man, what was it, about eight years ago? Was it that eight? long ago? It might have been. Um, I started it in 2012. I don't think it was long after that. You yeah. Yeah. So we did a, a podcast on my YouTube channel a few months back, but I, I feel like this story is always worth telling. And uh, <laughs> Dakota got me in trouble. <laughs> uh. uh, it, it, it wasn't by intention by any means. He was just doing his, his job. And so at the time I was working with the Texas Legends, uh, at the time the Legends had Delonte West on the team. And Delonte had... I forgot where he had just came from, but at the time he was still considered a, a guy that NBA teams would have interest in and he just needed to play in the G League. And and so he had been working out with the Legends for maybe, I don't even know if he was officially with the Legends, but he was in town and I was around him quite a bit. Great guy, by the way. And you know I'm glad to see that he's um, doing much better and on the road to recovery. But yeah, so Dakota <laughs> sent a message to me on Twitter and he asked me, when was Delonte gonna make his debut? And I said, I think I must've replied like, he'll play. And it ended up getting picked up by like the New York Times or it was whatever it was, it was, it was a, a pretty big thing. And so I remember getting a phone call from Malcolm Farmer, who's now the president of the Legends. And he was a general manager at the time, or maybe assistant GM. And he says, why are you talking to the media about Delonte? And I say, I didn't. He says, just Google your name. I Google my name and I'm on Hoops Hype. I'm getting calls from all my friends talking about, hey, I see you on Hoops Hype. So apparently when, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that when Dakota was asking me the question, I didn't know that it was going to blow up the way it did and I learned how the media works at that time I knew the Mavs guy for breaking news was uh, Mark Stein and my tweet didn't allow Mark Stein to break the news so um, so that's kind of how I, I, I guess we met each other online before that but that's always mm -hmm. a story that that comes to mind when it comes to uh, you know, my relationship with Dakota, which started on Twitter because, you know, I was working in the G League and he is the G League guru. Like he knows mm -hmm. the G League in and out. So that was kind of a long introduction, but how's everything going, Dakota? Um, Things are going good uh, for the first time in 11 months. G League basketball is back in some form. It is um, extremely unique situation with everybody uh, with um 17 teams plus ignite playing in the bubble and if you know 17 daily teams that is minus 11 yeah. um team uh standard daily team so it's definitely uh an interest a unique thing that uh we don't see teams like the texas legends the main 
Red Claws or, you know, South Bay Lakers playing, you know, in the, in the G League season, you know, feels weird, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, it's, it's, it's the best that they can do um, at a time where, you know, COVID is still uh, ravaging the nation. So yeah, it's unique, but um, I'm just happy to see some form of uh, G League basketball being back. So my question to you as a guy that covers the G League extensively, and as I mentioned, you are the guru. How have you adjusted to the early games? It's been difficult. <laughs> it's I been bet. difficult. Um, yeah. Um, first off, it's um, crazy to adjust just uh, based on the fact that I haven't been watching games. Five deal games I've covered for 11 months, but you know, uh, of course, standard Geely games, most of them started at like, the, like the night would start at six yep. uh, o'clock my time, but now it's starting at 10. So I'm a, I'm a late, I'm a, I'm somebody that likes to be up late. So it's, uh, I've had to adjust my sleep schedule and also adjust my, uh, my life schedule uh, based on the fact that um, from like, from around what, 10 to eight, there's going to be um, basketball on to watch. All day. So I was in Los Angeles last week, and the first Ignite game started at 8 a.m. Hmm. <laughs> so that, I mean, it's already an adjustment. If I would have been in Dallas where I reside for the game to start at 10, but for them to start at 8, that was pretty crazy because even when they had the NBA bubble, the games didn't start that early. I thought the yeah. schedules or the times are going to be similar, but 8 a.m. Is, is, is pretty crazy. Now, do you know why they, they're scheduling games so early? Because there's, are there, there's actually less teams or is it more teams than it was when the, the bubble originally started in the NBA? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I feel like 18 teams. I feel like there was definitely more in the NBA because like you would have like the eight Eastern and Western conference team. I'm trying to, I'm kind of thinking a lot here. The eight so Eastern and Western and teams are in had, the playoffs. And I know that you had, I think there was what, like one or two Eastern conference teams that like wasn't in the top eight at the time oh, that yeah. the season um, ended. And there were like four Western conference teams. I, I think that there were more um, uh, NBA teams and yeah. uh, G League teams in the bubble. Yeah, it's it's weird that that the games are starting so early, but let's get right into it. So the the big attention or, or a lot of the um, focus is on the G League Ignite team, and mm-hmm. in my opinion, I had tweeted it a couple of days ago. The NBA could not have asked for a better start for this G League Ignite team. As of now, they're undefeated. They're 3-0. and um, Kuminga and Jalen Green have looked good. Um, Deshaun Nix has looked good. I think Isaiah Todd has looked good in stretches. So what are your thoughts on the, the 2021 NBA draft prospects that, uh, that are playing on the Ignite team? Um, I feel like Deshaun Nix is stock as a player has boomed. Yeah. Over since uh, play started, like everybody knew that he was a such a dynamic passer, but I've been I've been impressed with how he's been able to you know drive to the paint, drive to the paint, and finish around the rim, especially in contact. It looks like he, from like 
from in terms of his body, he looks like a different player than um, what I saw of him in you know high school, where you know most of those games were a year or more ago, right? Yep. So there's so spotty, he looks different, but also he's um, shown to be more of like a like a hustle player that can you know grab rebounds, and he's been he's been pretty solid on the uh, defensive end. Obviously, uh, Jonathan Kaminga is a is another player that I've you know been impressed by. He's been he's been really solid in all the games and. His, his um, ability as a passer is some, something that's really stood out to me, especially in the uh, first game against the San Cruz Warriors. But, um, but yeah, also, Jalen Green, he didn't, didn't have the best start in the San Cruz game, but I feel like he started to become more comfortable now, and um, I think that was on display in the recent game against the uh, Raptors 9-5. He's somebody I'm going to have uh, – I'm going to keep my – I am because he's he's an interesting player because uh, he's such a dynamic athlete. But the you know question is like how uh, solid of a shooter he is and um, how he's able been able to you know create off the dribble because um, like in the first like in the first two games he was uh, a lot of his action was uh, was cutting to the rim right yep. and you know rolling to the rim and being a lot of threat so. Um, I want to see how he is on uh, those ends, and also on the defense end. Like he's had some, you know, rough patches, especially with uh, working off ball, which I'll, which a lot of those players have yep. when it comes to closing out and um, just just being in there. But Green is somebody that um, I feel like has been making steady improvements, as hard as it might be to believe, because it's only been a few days since the uh, G League. Um, season started but I feel like he's been doing better at you know maneuvering around screens which you know in the NBA is going to be a big time priority uh with him you know because he's going to be working on the perimeter so yeah let's get into the numbers uh first so we'll start off with Kuminga who on my last mock I did on I want to say like January 30th I had him going number two and that was without seeing him play a game and I'm glad that um he's made me look good in a sense because a lot of people had Jalen Suggs number two or even Evan Mobley and it's nothing against those guys but I just felt like I thought Kuminga could easily be the number two pick I mean Kate Cunningham is my lock at number one at this point but so far Kuminga's averaging 22 points a game seven rebounds and he's looked good as a passer he's averaging three assists per game and just over the three games, he had 19 in the first game on nine of 18 shooting. He had 24 in the second game. And then on the 13th against the Raptors 905, he had 23 points along with 13 rebounds. What are your thoughts on him as far as an NBA prospect? Do you think that he has a chance to go number one? Or do you think he's behind like Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs or even Jalen Green? Uh, so far, I definitely don't think he's behind, uh, you know, Jalen Green. Uh, in of of the games I've watched Kate Cunningham play, I feel like he's at a, uh, um, you know, a, a level higher than a lot of these guys. But I feel like he's, I feel like Kaminga is in that you know, Mobley Suggs range. And as far as him as a draft prospect, man. The fact that he's putting up 22, 7, and 3 
um, in his first three games against really solid um, pro competition. Like, like the talent that's in the G League this year is far better than talent you see um, in a standard G League season. And the fact that he has been, you know, excelling at the level that he has in these first uh, three games has been uh, remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely impressed with how he played again, like as a passer, I think his shooting has improved and I just feel like he's done enough to where, I mean, his stock probably can't get any higher than it is right now. But as far as like from three, the first game he was one for seven, but the second game he was two for five and he's one for two the last game. His shooting was a question coming into this uh mm-hmm. The gobble, as they call it. But I think that up in the game where he was one for seven, he's shown the confidence to shoot the ball and let it fly. And I think his confidence tells me that he's put in the time and worked on his shot. And so what are your thoughts on his shooting and his upside as a shooter? In terms of his upside, like uh, like he said, I like his um, the confidence that he's showing as a shooter, but I just want to see a bigger sample size from him when it comes to circus shooter, because while, you know, we, we both have been impressed with the, you know, the play of these G league players, when it comes to pinpoint things, like how a player um, is as a facilitator and uh, doesn't uh, cut down on their turnovers or how they are on the, you know, defense end, or especially, you know, shooting where, you know, even the best shooter can go, you know, two for, you know, seven yep. from the field on a given day. Uh, let's just, let's just wait and see how um, the remaining <laughs> only 12 games of the regular season, which is a small sample size in itself, but let's uh, take a wait and see approach when it comes to Kaminga and, you know, how his uh, three point percentage, you know, fluctuates. Um over the remaining, you know, games of the season. All right, now Jalen Green. So Jalen Green's first game, at least the first half, was not impressive. Mm-hmm. I saw no. a lot of people, I don't want to say had doubts about him, but the fears or the question marks about his game stood out. I mean, it, they, they really stood out in the first half of the game. And even for me, I felt like I've watched him play live in high school, I want to say once or twice. And then I saw him with Team USA in Greece. I want to say it was the under-19s. And for him to be considered a high draft pick, he didn't start on that team. But he was behind Kira Lewis and Cade Cunningham was on the team, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. And he looked better coming off the bench. But also, it was hard to gauge how he would play off the ball and playing with talented players because team USA was so dominant. So one of my questions coming into this gobble was how is he going to play if he's not a high usage guy, if he's not able to dominate the ball. And like I mentioned, there were some struggles in the first game, but he's bounced back and has played really well. And if you just look at the numbers on paper, It's 17.7 points per game, four rebounds, close to 56% shooting from the floor, 40% from three, 80% from the free throw line. 
Now, the assist to turnover ratio is negative. He's averaging three turnovers a game while only one assist. What do you think about his play so far? Uh, like you said, uh, he's somebody that really started to uh, pick up the pace um, in the second half of the game against the San Chris Warriors, and he's been solid in the uh, remaining two games. So I, with him, when it comes to his work on ball, this, this might be um, – weird to hear because he's such a threat uh like his his burst and his quickness allow him to be you know such a dominating off ball on ball threat that he can uh he's able to you know burst past a lot of uh defenders but i just want to see him work more in uh in pick and roll with some of the you know experienced guys that they have that the united have like amir johnson or you know a second year player in Dante Hall because in that in that first game, and I think it was only a few occasions, but Jalen Green is somebody that looked really comfortable working with a vet like Amir Johnson, which is understandable because they've been together for a few months now. But just just to see how he can work in the pick and roll, somebody something I really want to see Brian Shaw um, emphasize more with yeah. Jalen Green and with everybody else because. You know, um, if he's going to be, if he's going to have the ball in the sands a lot, he's going to have to be comfortable with working, with working, you know, with, uh, with Roman. Yep. What do you think of him as a passer? I mean, I know like the numbers don't show um, as far as good, like decision-making as far as assist to turnover ratio, but what do you, what have you seen so far from him as a passer and, I guess you can't always judge by assists, but what about him just as a ball mover and a decision maker? I want to see more. <laughs> I, I I know that's probably not the not the most exciting thing to hear, but I just want to see more of him. And again, this goes um, this work as a facilitator goes back to the point that I want to mention of him working in pick girls. So I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that of you know Jalen Green because there's there's a lot to working as a facilitator working as the guard in pick and rolls when it comes to patience when it comes to you know waiting for that opportunity when it comes to you know pass um uh, manipulation and uh using that screen to get the get the defense on the roller get the defense on you and kicking out uh you know somebody you know on the wing or somebody on the corner and I want to see if Green has that that patience and that ability, um, you know, as a facilitator, you know, maybe uh, him also working in transition, like Jared Jack is somebody that has, uh, especially with Nation X, Jared Jack has been uh, a catch, a real catch and shoot threat this year. So, uh, so if Jalen Green uh, working in transition shows his passing ability and you know works until Gally uh, Jared Jack. Uh, that's gonna be something that I'd be uh, really happy with. But yeah, um, I'm gonna take away and see approach, and I want to see more more in you know pick and roll, and you know maybe be um, be more of a facilitator when he's working in transition, which uh, might be weird to say because he is such um, he's so quick and he's so athletic that you know every time they going down the court he's you know, he has the opportunity to make, uh, you know, ESPN, you know, top 10 countdown. Yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete. And I think that he's getting a good number of his points just cutting off the ball in transition. Um, but I definitely would like to see 
see some improvements as far as like passing and his decision making. Now let's get back to Knicks. He is someone who I'll be honest, I did not know a whole lot about coming into this season and the the gobble. It's it's still weird calling it the gobble. I mean, I know I don't, I don't call it the gobble. I know the, the uh, WNBA says the wobble, but the yeah. NBA uh, bubble was not called the nubble. It wasn't. Was the was a hockey bubble called the NHL's bubble called the uh, Hubble? It wasn't. It was just like the WNBA that was the wobble, but that's. <laughs> That's it. Like, why? Why do we have to? Why do we have to be cute with this? Just call it. Could just call it the dealing bubble. The gobble is sounds like the noise you make when you're when you're. Sounds like the noise that fish make when they're swimming. Fish make noise. <laughs> they make right. noise. They go gobble gobble gobble. That's the noise they make. Gobble gobble gobble. Got it. All right. So <laughs> in the G League bubble, um, there we go. I knew. I knew the name and I've seen like highlights of him, but he was someone who I had not had a chance to watch play live. Is it just me or does he look heavier than he did last year or heavier? than? He definitely he- does. He definitely does. He looks, you know, stronger and he's done a great job of being able to use that strength. Like you said earlier with uh, being able to finish through contact. And like I mentioned before, um, you know, he's improved as a driver and he's also improved when it comes to making these real hustle plays. Like um, in the, in the recent game against Raptors, one play that um, stands out to me is that he was working in the paint, you know, working uh, boxing out against Gary Payton Jr. He, I think he grabbed the rebound, either he put it back in or he didn't, but then he, but then after that, he got into the face of Gary Payton Jr. and said some words. So right there, Right at that moment, I was convinced, like, Dacia Nix is that guy. He is my guy. Like, you you have to have some f- fire, some fight in you to be able to look in the face of such such a, a force. Like, Gary Payton Jr., I know uh, NBA fans might not know about Gary Payton, uh, you know, the second, but Duke can play. Duke can defend. Yeah. Dude works his you know tail off whenever he's on the court and for for Dacia Nix in his third game as a pro to do that show that dude has balls showed that he has that fire that I love to see from you know players and you know I love to see that foundation yeah I I thought he looked good I mean I guess it's kind of been somewhat inconsistent because he had a very good first game most notably in the first half his first like six minutes of the game, he, I mean, he had such an impact. I want to say like his first two or three possessions, he had a basket and an assist and he looked really good. And the second half wasn't as, you know, as, as good as the first half, but um, then I want to say the second game, he went scoreless, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he went scoreless, and then the last game, he had 25 points, was 8 of 15 from the floor. He had eight rebounds, um, six assists, but he also had six turnovers. He is such a unique prospect because he's 6'5". I mean, they have him listed at 224. If he weighed 240, I wouldn't be shocked. He's, yeah. I mean, he's a big boy. What are your thoughts on him as an NBA prospect? Because 
it's tough to compare him to anyone as far as like his game and just the, the way he plays. I mean, Talon Horton Tucker was a, a unique build for me and he had a unique game, but he's more athletic, more burst. And he has like a ridiculous wingspan. So again, what do you think about Knicks as an NBA prospect? And do you have a comparison? Um, I'm not sure if I have a comparison when it comes to other NBA players, because he is, you know, so unique. Like he's a 6'5", like like you said, 224 seems light when it comes to, you know, his build. Like he's built like an NFL linebacker but like he has a lot of finesse with him with his ability to you know move the ball around and also like like um like 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 i've said you know countless times uh be able to finish through contact and you know be able to make the kind of hustle plays i made in the game against the um uh after the side of five and the one thing that i want to see from him is i just want to see brian shaw uh, use should Knicks more um, off ball and just to see how he is as a shooter because I feel like that's the one question that a lot of people have about Dacian uh, Knicks and you know we really haven't seen you know a lot from that he's only had you know six shot attempts in the first three games six shot attempts from beyond the arc I mean in the uh, first three games so um, you know, um, I just want one more sample size from him in that area. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, I definitely want to see more games because he had a dominant first half, then a zero point game and then a 25 point game. So I, I want to see which is the more realistic version of who he's going to be, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. And what's crazy is, I mean, there's been millions of basketball players. I consider myself a basketball junkie. I know you are someone that I respect your knowledge and you've seen thousands of players, especially guys that a lot of people don't know about. Like it's easy to follow NBA players, but not only do you follow NBA players, you follow college guys, mid-major guys. I mean, we talked offline and you were talking about a guy who you think would be a candidate for an Exhibit 10 contract. So you... <laughs> Man, I wrote, you, like, during the, during the offseason, I wrote, like, 15,000 words yeah, on major guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always respected your your knowledge of the game and the fact that, you know, you follow guys that the average person hasn't heard of. I mean, I, you know, there's guys that love basketball. There's basketball junkies. And then there's like this different level that that you're on. And for you to have seen so many players and know so many guys, I mean, just think about the G League since you started. There's been thousands of guys that the average fan has not heard of that you've seen or written reports on from the G League. And for you to have such a deep mental database of players and to not have a comparison for Knicks says a lot. And yeah. I'm struggling to find a comparison for him also. So he may be one of the most unique prospects, if not the most unique prospect I've ever seen as far as skill level and and body type. And I wonder yeah. how 
is going to impact him from the perspective of the NBA draft because yeah because like uh like thank you for what you said about my knowledge of basketball and obviously you're somebody that has worked in you know basketball for a long time and you know folks working you know with NBA teams scouts executives I've also been working basketball for you know long longer than you and I probably combined uh but I feel like um Dacian Nix is going to be a question mark no matter how he plays because like you said we've never seen a player like him like you can't make a comp to (laughs) NBA player A, B, C, or D like he is so unique and I feel like that uniqueness just maybe could scare you know teams off from from you know from him because (laughs) like he 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 he's a player that doesn't fit into like a bubble of you know this prototype. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree 100% and probably from now until the draft I'm going to be racking my brain trying to find a comparison to him. All right, the last player that I wanted to talk about as far as the the uh, 2020 draft prospects is Isaiah Tide. Now, it seems like a lot of people are down on Isaiah Tide. I even saw a tweet saying that he should have went to Michigan. I have liked what I've seen out of Tide. I know that people may be a little down on him simply because early in his high school career, he was like the number one player in a class or number two. Either way, he was considered by a lot of people as the best player in his class. And then he ended up being, you know, just passed over. Some may have felt like he peaked early. Some may feel like he just wasn't as hungry because his name was, you know, so was big so early in his career. But I think that it's got to the point where he went from, I I don't, I don't want to say, underrated to overrated but he's definitely gotten to the point where he's not getting the attention as the other guys but I feel like he's looked good in the minutes that he's played so what are your thoughts on Isaiah Todd so far um um I think as Isaiah Todd has looked good in games he played and I, I think a lot of it is due to the fact that he's not the he he doesn't you know control the action he doesn't have the ball for a lot of times say he's on the court which you know is different from, you know, back when he was in high school and he was the premier player on his high school team. And, you know, being an off-ball guy helps because he is a, you know, 6'10", 210-pound guy that, you know, the Knight can rely on to, you know, move off-ball and, you know, hit catch-and-shoot uh, mid-range shots or, you know, you know maybe even catch-and-shoot threes at some point. And that's a unique skill for somebody to have. And also on the defensive end, I have uh, been impressed with what I've seen of him as an on-ball defender. Like in the debut game against um, San Cruz, there were a few instances where he was able to lock up Jeremy Lin. I know Jeremy Lin, you know, has probably lost a step or two from the time that he was with the uh, New York, New York Knicks, you know, <laughs> nine years ago. But you know, Jeremy Lin is still a very good basketball player, and he's a very good, uh, you know, guard. And for somebody like Isaiah Todd, 6'10", 210, uh, to, uh, to, to be able to, to defend him the way that he did was extremely impressive. Like, I entered 
um, this G League bubble being uh, very low on uh, Isaiah Todd to the point where I didn't write about him uh, because I didn't have many kind words to say about him because his shot selection in high school was just atrocious. But um, I've, I've liked what I've seen from him, you know, with uh, Shaw transitioning him more to being, you know, more of a, you know, off-ball guy that he can, you know, work in uh, catch and shoots. Who would you compare him to? Um, who would you compare it to? Let me hear from you. Um, well, maybe I, one of the things that, that comes to mind when I think about him is Darius Baisley, because mm-hmm. a lot of people thought Baisley made a big mistake by not going to Syracuse. And it just seems like people were down on him. Yeah. His, um, you know, his last year in high school and maybe because of his decision and he's been good. Like the, the minutes that he played last year, I thought he showed flashes of being a, a good NBA player. And then this year he's good enough to be on my fantasy basketball team <laughs> and he's been on the team all year. And so I think that Isaiah Ty could possibly have a similar type development in a sense um i think that i would draft him if i'm a team next year where at i mean that's to be determined but i would draft him i think that he can be a guy that you can bring along slowly and then in his second full year in the nba i think he can be a quality rotation player yeah i agree with you i feel like um this is not the last year that isaiah todd's going to the g league like, um, like next year, I can 90, I'm 95% positive that he's going to be in the G League, but, you know, that's an assignee with whichever team, you know, takes him, you know, made to, you know, late second round where he's was projected, you know, before the bubble. And maybe, maybe Saka rises a little bit with how, you know, solid, you know, he's been, but I feel like he's more of a, you know, second round guy, which, uh, for the uh, for the ignite project, might not be the best because you know they're looking for the elite of the elite and the elite of um, freshmen. A lot of them get drafted, you know, in the first round, and you know most of them get picked in lottery. But I say Todd is somebody. He's more of a developmental prospect than you know somebody like you know Jalen Green or you know Jonathan Kaminka. Right. Yep, I agree. All right, so now I wanted to talk about a few of the players that were in the 2020 NBA draft that are playing in the G League. One of the things I think a lot of people forget about that don't follow the G League is for guys like myself that follow draft classes, it's like the first time you get a chance to see some of the guys that were drafted late in the first round or the second round get real minutes and get a chance to play. And a few of these guys I like to talk about But the first person I want to talk about is someone who I spoke about a lot last year. And I had a chance to watch him play at the under 18 tournament in Greece in 2019 was Alexei Spokashevsky. And one of my concerns about him was he is super young. I think he's like 18 years old. And he made such a huge jump from like second division Greece to 
thrown in the fire with Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. And I thought, okay, the G League would be a, a good fit for him. I mean, I honestly did not expect him to play any minutes at all for the Thunder this year, which he he was like in their rotation at, at one point. And then once I see him in the G League bubble, <clears throat> I, I I was he's one of the players that I was looking to watch the most because one of my concerns was even though it's not the NBA, we expect him to struggle in the NBA. I wondered mm-hmm. how he would fare against a bunch of guys in the G League that are mostly 25, 26 years old, guys that I went to college for four years, and they're hungry, like hungry dogs, I, I would compare them to, that are looking for, you know, basically they're fighting for their careers. And I wonder how Pokashevsky would, would fare and the results so far have not been good. I mean, if, based off the raw numbers, he's averaging five points, three assists, nine rebounds. While he has shown the flashes of skill and talent that made him a first-round pick, I still think he's a very good long-term NBA prospect because he's seven foot, even though he's you know kind of light in the pants at 190 pounds, but he's a seven-foot point center or you know whatever position that you decide to play him at I think he's agile and skilled enough to he can play all over the floor you don't find a lot of guys with his passing instincts at his size but he's really struggled I mean there was a promising game today against Canton where he had 10 points and four rebounds and six assists but the first two games he was a combined four for 23 from the floor what Mm -hmm are your thoughts on Pokashevsky so far? Um, man, uh, I, he's an interesting player. Like you see, you see these, like you see flashes of him being able to take the ball up the court and he looks, he looks comfortable being able to, you know, take the ball up the court, which, you know, is something they are seeing more of when it comes to seven footers, but it's, it's not common, not common, but and also him, you know, working off ball. I've seen him work on the corner a few times, but he's raw. He's, yep. you know, incredibly raw when it comes to decision-making, especially, like, on the defensive end. Like, um, the Oklahoma City Blue have um, have have been having him guard the perimeter and, you know, stick with switches. And he's not been doing a great job. Of that, like, um, like, I understand why the team's doing that because he he is pretty quick for he's really quick for a player his size. But I don't. There's something about him. Like, I feel like maybe he's too upright in his stands. But like, guards have been able to do work against him, and you know his shooting numbers. Like, he's you know he's getting opportunities to shoot, which I feel like is good for you know this development get you know get as much reps as possible but the shots are not going in and he he's um experimenting with his work as a passer sometimes you know um he does a good job of that uh you know driving to the paint uh and you know finding guys that are you know positioned in the dunker spot but also you know there are times where um he just you know throws the ball away and you know that you can you know see that from you know his uh, turnover numbers of course, of his first three games in the uh, league, league, but man, 
Um, I understand why, you know, why OKC picked him in the first round, but he's he's the biggest work in, work, work in progress in this yearly bubble, bar none. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the game today, um, he showed, you know, he was a lot more comfortable today. The game against the Ignite, it could not have went worse for him. And for those that did not see the game, I'll just read out the stats to you. 26 minutes, six points, two of 13 from the floor, two of eight from three, nine rebounds, five assists, two steals, two blocks, and seven turnovers. Hmm. But he showed the potential of being a guy that can get steals and blocks. Um, The seven turnovers definitely didn't help his cause. Uh, I felt like he shot too many threes, like he settled for a lot of threes. But one of the things I did somewhat like was that even though he was struggling from the floor, he didn't seem or it didn't seem like his confidence in his shot was rattled. I know he took like a couple big shots late in the game when the game was still on the line. He wasn't, you know, moving the ball because he was scared to shoot because he was having an off night. So I thought that was encouraging. Uh, Definitely. Like I'm I'm. (laughs) Like, he's somebody, like, you look at his body language, and he, he feels comfortable in the setting uh, that he's in, which, you know, may have something to do with the fact that, you know, he was in the NBA for um, for a little bit when the season started before, you know, everybody, before uh, the G League bubble season started. But I, I like the confidence, and he, he just, he's just a player that needs more reps, yeah. Um. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of like he's one of the players that I'm kind of upset that it isn't a full season. Like I feel like a full G League season, full 50 game G League season, would be you know great for him. When it just comes from you know having you know that time, those months to make mistakes, learn from those mistakes, and continue to develop over the course of you know an extended period of time rather than, you know, three, four weeks of a, you know, a G-League bubble season. Yeah, and no summer league. It, as of yeah. today, it doesn't look like there's going to be a summer league. And I think that that's going to hurt him as far as his development. Um, just because you can't really simulate NBA games, and I think that he needs to play. But What's the the saying that Fran Fraschilla had a couple years ago? He looks like he's two years away from being two years away or something like yeah. that. Uh, that could possibly apply to uh, to Pokashevsky. But the uh, but the benefit for Poku compared to Bruno Caboclo, who uh, in this rookie season the uh, Raptors didn't have an affiliate, and he had to play with the uh, four lane Mad Ants, where his minutes he didn't play much. Here's Ricky over the Mad Ants, but now, uh, you know, few years later with Poku, uh, Poku's getting playing time. You know, he's getting 25, you know, 30, you know, minutes per game. And like, like I've been saying, you know, playing time reps, you know, for a player that's, you know, this young, this inexperienced, uh, can only help we get help, yeah. uh, you know, a young prospect. Yep. Now, I wanted to ask you what prospects. Not, it doesn't have to be guys from the 2020 NBA draft class, but what players have stood out to you that you think could end up on an NBA roster within the next few weeks or 
for the playoffs? Um, in in the um, list of topics that you mentioned in the BMCU uh, said toy prospects, I spent the time thinking and looking through the numbers. And there have been, you know, some um, planetary prospects, especially two-way guys or, you know, signees that have really impressed. Paul Reed has been an absolute monster. I like With Paul the Delaware Blue Coats. Uh, Robert Woodard, um, he's a Keynes prospect, but he's working with the Austin Spurs because, you know, Stockton Keynes are going to the G League bubble. And despite that, um, he's looked uh, fantastic. He's such a great athlete, and he's able to, you know, use his athleticism on the defensive end, uh, you know, grab off of the rebounds, and just just be just be a threat on both ends of the court. Uh, Vernon Carey has been looking uh, really good yeah. with the uh, Greensboro Swarm, and I like the way that uh, um, Jay Hernandez has used them as uh, at, in that you know high post role. And I actually interviewed. Um, Hernandez uh, two weeks ago before the start of the season, and he mentioned that he wants to use Vernon Carey in like the same role that the Hornets use uh, Klee Zeller, and I thought that was interesting. And so far, the results of that uh, with Carey and um, Greensboro has been, uh, you know, great. And also, um, uh, Mamad. I have, I have problems saying his name because I, you know, only read it and, you know, type it out. But uh, the former Virginia four that's now with the Bucks as a two-way player. Uh, oh, yeah, I know you're talking about. Dikite? Yeah, uh, yeah. Dikite, yeah. Uh, man, he has been such a fun player to watch. His his athleticism, his ability in, in, the, in the low post to be able to create shots for himself, but also facilitate. He made some nice passes. Uh, tonight, I feel like I feel like the Bucks have a really uh, good thing going with uh, Mabadi. Um, and in terms of uh, second-year players, uh, Moses Brown of the OKC uh, Blue great. has um, has been you know really solid, really great. He, he's a consistent double th- double thread. He's more of a you know classic um, big that likes likes to do his damage. From you know inside the paint compared to you know uh, you know a guy like uh, Poku that's more you know perimeter oriented, but you know Brown has done great in his role as a classic uh, classic style big, you know with grabbing using his size to you know grab rebounds, block shots, roll to the paint. He's been great in that yeah. role, and um, I've been. Happy to see his progress. And one other guy that I want to mention because I know you uh you want to talk is uh Jalen Q. Uh Jalen Q is a he was kind of like a high school to NBA guy yep. uh last year. Um he has ups and downs um near short year with the northern Arizona Suns, but I really like what I've seen with him this year. Uh now he's a member of the Pacers, he's been with the four-way Mad Ant. I feel like he's made um significant developments uh, when it comes to being a catch-and-shoot uh, three-point shooter and also as a uh, decision-maker with the ball in his hands. Both of those things are huge uh, for Jalen Lequeen and I wanted to want for his uh, you know first future in the NBA I want to see him continue to to you know be pre-consistent catch-and-shoot and make good decisions as a passer with the ball in his hands. Because if he makes those, he's somebody that I feel like can uh, can have a career in the NBA because 
such a you freak know, he athlete. Can, <laughs> yeah, because he is a freak athlete, and he, in my mind, he had the best uh, dunk of uh, of you know last year in the, G- the league. baseline one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew exactly what you were talking about. What are your thoughts on Kenyon Martin Jr.? Oh yes, he is. I I tweeted this. Um, I feel like if he if he spends the rest of the year in the G League, which, which is a question mark because he's an assignee, he's somebody that he can pencil in to the all defensive team. He's yeah. been that great. He, he is been, like this weird rim protecting wing. He's listed yeah. at six six, two fifteen. But I want to say he's averaging at close to four blocks a game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I have his numbers in front of me. Yeah, 3.7 blocks. So he's very close to um, four, four blocks a game. But also 3.7 offensive rebounds yeah. for a game. So a guy, you know, with his frame, you know, 6'6", 215, that's like a perfect wing, um, you know, height and weight. But, you know, he's he's uh, he's – play more like Moses Brown when it comes to, you know, numbers that you say than, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, your average, you know, NBA win, but man, he's been so much fun to watch. Um, his ability to switch and his ability to stick with guards and just block shots and pin them and keep, keep the possession going has been a beautiful thing to watch. And man, I've been impressed with him. And the fact that he's only 20 years old, yep. and he's playing like this, is mixing hyped about his future in the NBA, especially future with the Houston Rockets, who, you know, since they traded James Harden, they've been, you know, more defensive oriented yep. with guys like uh, Jason Tate. And I, and I really want to, I'm really hopeful to see, you know, after, after his dealing season's done, Kenny Martin Jr. going to Houston and applying in the traits that he's used in the bubble to, uh, to Houston. Yeah, he, he's been impressive. We're running low on time here again. This is Rafael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I have Dakota Schmidt, the G League guru. There's two names that I want to run by you. And these aren't names that the, the average fan may know. All right, the first name is Andrew Rousey. <laughs> he's been impressive and his in the first three games for those that don't know who he is give a brief summary of Andrew Rousey and and what he's done in this this short three games so far this season Rousey's a gunner man he is the gunner he does damage with the ball in his hands he can you know spot up super deep and make shots and he showed that so far in the bubble um and uh, the G League site only has two games, but he he did play tonight. But and two games that they have on the uh, G League side right now: twenty six points, three point five boards, one point five assists on fifty three percent from the field, forty four percent from uh, beyond the arc on nine attempts per game. Obviously, those numbers are incredible. But but man, he's such he's such an ex- superb offensive talent and. You know, he, I don't know what to say about him in terms of like his status as a prospect because he is, you know, 26 years old. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know why he can't be signed to a two way deal and 
to help a team out in their, you know, second unit on the NBA level. Like, I feel like he can definitely do that with the skills that he has. Oh, at the minimum, he's a EuroLeague player next year. Yeah. <laughs> at the minimum. All right, the last player that I wanted to talk about, and he had a crazy first game, arguably the best game in the bubble as far as on paper. It is Tyler Cook. What are your mm. thoughts on, on Tyler Cook? Or you can tell me if you felt like you've seen a more impressive stat line. I don't feel like I have seen a more <laughs> impressive stat line. Like, um, the thing that the thing I kind of want to talk about is like the assist numbers are kind of bloated in like the D League. When you look at like when you look at tape, like if you if somebody passes 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 it to a guy that's on the perimeter. And that guy drops to the paint and he like takes two, three, four dribbles to get to the paint. The guy that passed the ball, he's going to get an assist, right? So, and I saw like, I looked through uh, Tyler Cook's assist in his first game and he had a lot of those uh, kind of plays, but still, um, even if, even if the assist numbers are a bit on the uh, blower side, he's still been, you know, extremely extremely impressive with just dominating absolutely dominating the offensive glass that is his has been his number one uh skill uh so far in the season and he's you know allowed that to be you know a 20 20 points you know 10 rebound guy so far um during the uh G league bubble yeah i mean he's averaging 21 10 and 6 on 66 yeah. percent shooting He's definitely been impressive. I mean, the first game for, I know I mentioned the incredible stat line, but the first game, it was against the Long Island Nets. He had 31 points on 14 of 20 shooting, uh, 10 rebounds, five on the offensive glass to go along with nine assists, one steal and two blocks. I thought that was the most impressive stat line that I've seen in, you know, this short um, window. But Again, this is Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkies. I'm out of time, man. Time goes by fast when you're having fun. And for me, having fun <laughs> talking basketball, especially when it comes to the G League, because I feel like it's such a, a niche market. And you can't really have G League conversations with a lot of people. And so, um, in my opinion, there's nobody better to talk G League basketball with than Dakota Schmidt. So, again, this is Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show. Nothing but net channel on Dash Radio. My guest was Dakota Schmidt from the Ridiculous Upside site. And we are out.